listen. Just listen. I'm Miles Pulaski, and you're listening to Second Story Podcast. Second Story is Serendipity Theater Collective's hybrid performance series of stories, wine, and music. A collaboration among writers, actors, musicians, and others to create good stories and good times. The stories are written by the performers themselves. Sometimes funny, sometimes poignant, always thought-provoking. And now, Second Story storytellers Jessica Young and C.P. Chang. We're getting married in three and a half months, and the planning is in full swing. We bought the suit I'm going to wear to the wedding. It's not a tux. It's a two-button black Hugo Boss suit. You guys, seriously, he looks so good in this suit. Oh. And she's already got a dress, although, of course, I haven't seen it. It's gorgeous. Ask me about it later. I don't want to talk about it in front of him. We've hired a photographer. Julie. And we found a DJ. Miles. And we recently sat down to make the guest list. It was pretty fun, actually. Like paging through a yearbook full of the people who've been a part of your life. But it was also really hard having to cut people off the list because we couldn't afford to invite 400 of our friends to our wedding. 400 of your friends? I know a lot of different people. I've had a a lot of different jobs, lived in a lot of different cities. You've lived in a lot of different decades, Mr. (laughs) 40-year-old. Nobody needed to know that. Anyways, we included all of Jess's best friends from college. And all of CP's friends from the software biz. Friends that we both have from graduate school. And then the subject of Kate came up. Kate is an ex-girlfriend of mine from about 10 years back. We dated for about two years, including three or four breakups and a really tough breakup at the end. But 10 years is a long time, long enough that we got back in touch and found out that we could carry a friendly conversation, and we had a lot of history together, and so I thought it would be nice to have her at my wedding. You guys, he's making this stuff with this broad sound really chill and innocuous, but it's not, okay? This isn't just any ex-girlfriend. This is the woman who inspired him to pursue his dream of becoming a writer, and this is the woman he thought he was going to spend the rest of his life with. It's true. She's a bad She was the first woman I ever dated who really understood that because I was a software consultant during the day, it didn't mean that I sold my soul. I had dreams of being a writer, and she not only accepted that about me, she loved that about me. And you romantics in the room, you understand that the first time you meet someone who gets you, who really gets who you are on the inside, that's huge. On our second date, what was supposed to be an afternoon coffee date, we instead spent the day in my apartment. I was feeling blue because a friend of mine had just lost her baby. Yeah. Going out into the world wasn't something I was much for, but I didn't want to cancel a date with this woman. Kate was pretty in an East Coast kind of way. Thin, (laughs) with mousy brown hair and soft brown eyes. She was smart as a tack, a theater and biology double major. She was funny and interesting. I didn't want to reschedule, and so I asked her, would you come over and just be with me? So we stayed in on a cool October Sunday. I puttered around the apartment, cleaning and organizing, which is what I do when I'm feeling sad or out of sorts. She read. She read short stories that I had written in college, fictional stories about sibling rivalry gone wrong, or romantic college love, or middle-aged men who'd lost their way. These were pages that were languishing in desk drawers and in folders, doing nothing but gathering dust. I was 29 and basically had figured out that my life was going to be about climbing the corporate ladder, 
working my software job and getting my stock options. My biggest concerns being about how to grow our customer base. Grow the customer base? CP, I can't imagine that life ever making you happy. You're as much an artist as you are a software consultant. But I didn't know that back then. I needed Kate to shake me out of my stupor. There she was, sitting on my living room carpet with afternoon sunlight pouring down through my windows onto her shoulders, paper surrounding her like leaves falling from a tree. She was wearing a black turtleneck like a beatnik, and her straight hair fell down over her face. She looked up after a while and asked me, why did you stop writing? I shrugged. I wasn't going anywhere with it. She was insistent. You need to keep writing. And she meant it. I think she started dating me so I would keep writing. She pushed me to keep writing stories, and she gave me the courage to go to graduate school, even though that meant giving up the corporate salary. It was a real relationship we were in, not some post-college fling. I loved her for the courage she gave me, and I thought I was going to marry her. You know, babe, ignoring the safe path and going your own way, it's one of the bravest things you've ever done. I love that about you. But I hate listening to you talk about this other woman like she's some kind of muse. It's really hard to hear you wax poetic about your old girlfriend. Ex-girlfriend? And it goes both ways. I know about Bilal. Go ahead, tell them about that ex-boyfriend of yours, this gorgeous doctor from Germany. This guy was the paragon of everything a woman would ever want in a man, and she was madly in love with him. I wasn't in love with him. Then what? I was... It was complicated. You ever actually get to go out with a person who's out of your league? That was Bilal. He was a med student, which meant he was smart. He was four years older than me, which meant he was more mature than a couple of college boys who'd asked me out. And he was the most gorgeous man I had ever seen. He had this brilliant smile and this soft, lilting accent. He was half German, half Indian, and warm brown eyes. Dating him felt like something out of an offbeat romantic comedy. Our first date was a foreign film at an art house theater and then a late night espresso. Date two, dinner at a local Italian restaurant. He had the gnocchi, I had chicken marsala, and we drank red wine in those straight small wine glasses. On our third date, he came over to my studio apartment with a bottle of Pinot Grigio and a paper sack of fortune cookies. We sat on the couch and drank and talked and listened to Miles Davis and Count Basie. And after the bottle was finished, we cracked into the cookies. The fortune in my cookie said something utterly forgettable. But the fortune in his cookie said, a new relationship will either turn into a budding romance or a lasting friendship. Give me a break. Hey, man, that's what the fortune cookie said. <laughs> so he looked at me and said, so tell me, Jess, which one do you think it is? <laughs> I don't know. I, I think you have to figure that out for yourself. So he says, how about if I kiss you and we find out which one it is? And he leans in and he kisses me and it is maybe the best first kiss I've ever had. That kiss leads to two kisses and those lead to four. And then we were all over each other, rolling around on the floor. And then he got up, said goodnight and left me there, sitting on the floor, out of breath and randy as a goat. <laughs> I wanted this man, okay? I don't mean in any kind of romantic, hold my hand and walk with me into the sunset way. I wanted Bilal in a way I had never wanted a man before. I wanted his mouth on mine, to feel his lips and his breath against the warm, tight skin of my neck. I wanted to run my tongue against the coy, 
perfect curve of his iliac crest. And if you don't know where that is, then look it up and you'll know what I'm talking about. Is this really the kind of thing you want to be hearing from your future wife? A partner's sexual past is sometimes like an old scar on your body. You know it's there, but you try not to obsess about it. Hell, you sometimes pretend it isn't even there. Yeah, but clearly that isn't working for you. And it sure as shit doesn't work for me. You are who you are now because of Kate. The first part of you that I fell in love with is the writer. And your perfect ex-girlfriend made you that writer. Jess, she wasn't perfect. Yes, she was. You guys, this woman is getting a PhD in sociology from Northwestern University, studying health policy for HIV patients in Africa and Asia. Her dissertation is going to make the world a healthier place. Not only that, but she's gorgeous, she's smart, and she's got a sense of humor that's witty with just the right amount of edge to it that's challenging and sexy. Perfect. This woman is going to be at my wedding? God, I better look really good. I don't think a perfect girlfriend ever slept with an ex-girlfriend when I was out of town. And we still got back together after that happened. She used to drive me crazy. One day, she doesn't really love me. The next day, she was just scared and really does love me. Once, we got separated at a party, and I found her later, whispering and holding hands with some random guy. She said she was just showing him her rings, which I could believe. But when she said, I knew you'd get jealous, it made me want to punch a brick wall until my knuckles bled. I was no saint, but she wasn't perfect. And as much as we try to stay together, we couldn't make it work. When we finally broke up for good, she was taking painting lessons from this guy, John. I knew she wasn't the least bit interested in him, but he had a crush on her, and I suppose that's worth something to any woman. One night in March, she went out with some friends, so I didn't expect her that night. The next morning, I went over to her apartment. The morning was crisp and dewy. I rode my bicycle the 20 blocks north to her place. She met me at the door, and I asked her, can I take you out for some morning coffee? I can't, I'm sorry, I wish you'd called first. Well, let me bring you back some coffee. She fidgeted and scratched absently at her gray slacks, slacks that she usually wore when she went out in the evenings. She said, my roommate and I are hosting a meeting at the apartment this afternoon and we've got to cook and clean and we're just really busy right now. Well, I left. But circled back to her place almost immediately. When she came to the door, I asked, you'd tell me if John spent the night, wouldn't you? Even if he spent the night on the couch? She bit her lip and didn't answer. I left her there, holding the door open. I was pissed, I was frustrated, and I'd finally had it. I went back to my condo, the place where I thought Kate and I might live as a married couple someday, and I spent the afternoon packing up her things. Clothes, books, CDs and DVDs, pots and pans. That's how much of her shit was at my place. I put it in a large pile in the middle of the living room, along with the ficus we bought together. I wrote a note asking her to leave her keys behind and to take care of the plant we had named Thomas. I wrote, I think you wanted out all along, but were too afraid to leave me. Well, you got what you wanted. Then I went out drinking until I was nearly blind. I didn't want to be around when she came over. When I got home, her things were gone. She'd written at the bottom of my note, I'm so truly sorry. I can't ask you to forgive me, but I am so sorry for what I have done. Kate had said that I was too good on paper. On paper, I was smart, nice, 
intriguing, successful. She couldn't justify dumping me, but she was miserable, and she made me miserable until finally I had to call it off. She wasn't perfect. She wasn't the one who got away. Yes, we became friends again, but Jess, she played mind games. You don't. Yes, she loved me as a writer, but you love me as a human being. Even when it's hard, you're not afraid to work at this relationship. Kate is no competition for you. Thank you, sweetheart. I know that. I'm not worried you'll see her and think, am I making a huge mistake? I'm just not sure that I want your past right there blinking at me on my wedding day, you know? Sure, my past might be at our wedding, but that doesn't mean that your past doesn't haunt us. Sometimes when it's tough between us, I wonder if you wish you were still with him, if he was the one who got away. Maybe you'd be happier with Dr. McSteamy, with his half-Indian, half-German glamour, with his Europeanness. Europeans have more savoir-faire, don't they? CP. Was he taller than me? I don't want to answer that. Why? I'm scared you'll think I wish you were taller. I knew he was taller. Ugh. Taller, smarter, more handsome. Honey, it wasn't like that. I mean, yes, there was a cloud of fantasy around this man, but when it burned off, there wasn't much left. The more time we spent together, the more I discovered there were parts of himself that he deliberately kept hidden from me. He was a practicing Muslim. His father was the celebrated Quran scholar, but he never talked to me about his faith, despite me asking about it repeatedly. He had a family in Germany that I never saw pictures of. I never even saw his apartment. Underneath all my passion, what I wanted was intimacy, and what I got was polite evasion. He would come over to my place and we would study together. Me banging away at my keyboard on my thesis, him poring over textbooks. I would look at him and wonder what was stirring behind those eyes. Bilal, I'd ask. I could never bring myself to call him something as familiar as honey or babe. He wouldn't look up from his work. Hmm? What are you thinking about? The cardiovascular system. He'd turn a page. The kind of passion we shared the first night he kissed me, we were never that passionate with each other again. I don't know how it happened, but we slipped into this place, not a place of affection or familiarity, but of civil, well-mannered distance. I'd open the door to let him in and get a quick peck on the lips. He'd spend the whole evening across the room from me on different pieces of furniture, like there was some tight string between us that we couldn't let go slack. He wouldn't touch me again until he gave me another quick peck on his way out the door. I felt shut out of his life, like I wasn't a part of anything that mattered to him. When we finally did have sex, we only did it once, and frankly, it was pretty disappointing. It, it wasn't even that I had fantasies of him being some great Casanova. I just wanted some intimacy. But the sex wasn't like that. It was brief, perfunctory. He came with a quick, shuddering sigh, rolled off me, and fell asleep. It was like I wasn't even there. We broke up when I graduated and moved away, a breakup as polite and emotionless as the relationship had been. When I moved back to Chicago a couple of years later, we reconnected right before he left for New Haven to start his residency. I went over to his place to help him pack up his apartment. I didn't have any expectations. I just wanted to help out a friend. We were packing and cleaning, and at one point, he stopped me. And do you know what he told me? He told me he could have married me. I was stunned. I told him how sweet he was, how I'd never known that he felt that way, and that I was incredibly flattered. 
but really I was pretty freaked out. It seemed to me that I'd never mattered to him at all, that I'd never been more than a social and sexual outlet to offer relief from his studies. And here he was thinking that the strained, distant relationship we'd had was one to build a life on. I never wanted that kind of life with him. And you don't have that kind of life. We're always affectionate. We snuggle in bed doing crossword puzzles together. We slow dance in the kitchen while making dinner. The best part of telecommuting is making out in the middle of the day. Yeah, that's my favorite too. <laughs> and I love the sweet little notes you leave me. But babe, sometimes you remind me of Bilal. You get all quiet and distant. And when I try to get inside, you shut me out. I mean, I know I use more words than you, that I'm the chatty Cathy in this relationship and you're the monk. But sometimes you get so far inside yourself. Honey, I'm not Bilal. But you do the same things he does. When you're writing or when you're angry with me or sometimes just because you'd rather be in your head than in the world around you. I live out here and you'd rather be up there. I'm afraid that when you withdraw into yourself, you're also shutting me out. Hmm. I knew you got really uncomfortable when I was quiet. I didn't know it scared you so much. I didn't know that Bilal and I were so similar. Jess, you remember that you and Kate share the same birthday. Yes. Sometimes when we fight, it reminds me of the way that Kate and I used to be. Kate wouldn't leave me because she thought I was too good on paper. That's why she would bottle up her misery instead and make me miserable. I think you do that sometimes. I do not. You do. You bottle up your misery about how the clothes that I wear or the hours that I put in at work or the way I leave magazines and books all over the apartment until you reach a point where you can't take it anymore and it sprays out all over the place. Okay, but I'm not the ghost of Kate. I won't start sabotaging our relationship in order to drive you away. And I'm not the ghost of Bilal. This isn't some relationship of convenience between us. I want to marry you. I love it when you say that. Okay, but how is it that you and Kate stayed friends after your breakup? We stayed in touch. She called me on 9-11 to make sure I was okay, knowing that I was working somewhere near New York. I met some of her boy boyfriends after me. I was one of the people she called when she found out she had breast cancer. And I wanted her to meet you when I realized that you were the one. <laughs> so, are we okay with Kate coming to the wedding? Yeah, put her on the guest list. We'll see what happens. That was Jessica Young and C.P. Chang. If their story gives you ideas for your own second story, we'd love to hear them. Please join us for our ongoing series at Webster's Wine Bar in the Morse Land or one of our upcoming special events. Visit our website for more details. Second Story Podcast is brought to you by Amanda Delheimer, Megan Steelstra, Ozzy Toten, Mikhail Fixel, and Sherry Pentamone. I'm Miles Pulaski. Second Story is funded in part by the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, the Illinois Arts Council Estate Agency, the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, City Arts Grants, Arts and Business Council, the Chicago Community Foundation, a part of the Chicago Community Trust, the Arts Work Fund for Organizational Development, and listeners just like you. To find out more about Second Story, the performances, and our performers, or to make a donation, visit us at secondstory.com. 